Thank you for tuning in to my podcast, Enforcing Purpose with Lisa Schwartz. For more information or to keep up on current events and products, please go to my website at www.lisa-schwartz.com. You know, sometimes people will give me a verse and then they give me a theme. And sometimes the verse doesn't necessarily go with the theme, or sometimes the theme doesn't go with the verse. But she just kind of threw out the verse. So I thought, well, you know, we would assume that we're going to have a message about joy. And we're going to talk about joy today. Um, But really what I want you to know is that sometimes we miss the point of this passage and the hope that God is revealing to us through this passage. The hope that we have that therefore then springs up out of our heart in the form of joy, a supernatural joy. So let me just start by letting the word speak for itself. And I'm just going to read right through Psalm 30 for you because it's powerful. I will, and this is, a, this is a Psalm of David, and I love some of the decorations that he gives in this passage. Starting with the very first sentence when he says, the very first statement, he says, I will extol you, I will Uh, And that declarative statement and saying, this is how I've decided to live my life. This is what I've decided to do in this moment. I will extol you. Everybody say, I will. I I love that there's so many declaratives in the scriptures where people say, you shall, you will, I will, I, do you see what I, I shall. We don't see a whole lot of you might, or maybe you might. There's not a whole lot of gray areas in the scripture because when God gives a promise, God gives a promise. It's, a yes, it's not just a yes, it's a yes and a amen, right? So he, goes, he starts by saying, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have. And again, this confidence of who God is. You have lifted me up. You have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave, meaning my emotions, the way that I'm thinking, bringing them up out of the dark places, out of thoughts of deadness, thoughts that are counterintuitive to life and unction and fullness that God, God, you did that. You lifted me up out of those places and you, and you have kept me alive that I should not go down into a pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his. And give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, his, but his favor is for a life. Weeping may re- endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Now in my prosperity I said, I shall never be moved. Lord, by your favor you have made me strong. My mountain stands strong. You hid your face and I was troubled. I cried, out to the, the, I cried out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made my supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down into the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? O hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. For you have turned to me, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and you have clothed me with gladness. To the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. 
And when we read this passage, joy comes in, in the morning. When we read this verse in the context of the passage, what we discover is David was a man who really wrestled with feeling joy. He wrestled with circumstances where he had to cry out to the Lord. He wrestled with nighttime seasons. And you see him go back and forth. In the beginning, it's this, I will extol you. You have not let me. And he recalls the hard times. And then he gives the, but God, right? And then he talks about how, God, you've been faithful and you've been true. And yes, indeed, I had the morning of the night. But my rejoicing came in the morning. And then he goes back and he talks again about how there was a time when I cried out to God and you, and you hid your face from me. It was like I was left all alone. And then he comes back again and he says, but God, you turned my morning into dancing. You removed the sackcloth from me and you clothed me with gladness. And, and I believe to say that this passage is a passage about joy is not incorrect. But I do think it's incomplete. I think we miss a bigger portion of what God is trying to tell us in this passage. And it's not just about joy. It's about the, because joy is the outcome. That's the destination. That's, that's the point, right? That's, that's what we're trying to get to. That's our goal. But this verse isn't, isn't about joy. It's about hope. It's about hope and the power that we have to hold on in the midst of a night because there's a greater truth that we are confident in. And that is that joy will come in the morning. Joy will come in the morning. God is using the sunrise as a frame of reference. You guys have heard me talk a lot about a frame of reference. How God will, well, he will um, speak to us about heavenly principles in natural frames of references for us to have an understanding. Something to compare it to. If I came out here and said, I wanted to introduce to you an apple, every single one of you has a frame of reference. You get a visual in your mind. You probably know what it smells like. You're thinking about how it tastes because you've experienced an apple. But when God is trying to explain biblical principles, heavenly things, he puts them in a natural frame of reference so that he can try and connect with us in a way that we're going to somehow be able to grasp something that can't be grasped. Jesus did that by, t by using parables. He talked about the seed and the farmer. He talked about trees. He used natural frames of references to try and get us to connect heavenly and kingdom type principles. And that's what he's doing here. He's using the sunrise, the, the, the confidence that we have that the sun is going to rise to speak to us a biblical principle. And he says, just as sure as you are that the sun will rise, so you can also be sure that joy will come. That's what he's saying in this passage. He's using the sunrise as a frame of reference to remind us of the natural law that morning will always come. You know, I, I've been counseling for years. Uh, I, I have never, ever had somebody come into my office, not once, say, I just go to bed at night worried that the sun's not going to come up tomorrow. Not once has it ever happened. Not one of us has ever gone to bed going, oh gosh, I wonder if the sun will rise tomorrow. Why? Because we're confident. We're confident in the natural law that the sun is going to come up. And God is saying, just as sure as you can be confident that the sun rises every morning, you can also be sure that joy will come and will break through any darkness of your seasons, any darkness of your life. 
I love, I cannot help but think about the popular song sung by Annie, the song Tomorrow, remember? And she sings, the sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow there'll be sun. The lyrics of the song go on to impart hope to the listeners, right? That the fact that no matter how gray the day is, we can stick out our chin and grin and say, the sun will come up tomorrow. And as cheesy as it is, Annie's singing to us a biblical principle. She's singing this verse right here in us, and, and she's in a sense saying, listen, weeping may remain for a night, but you can stick out your chin and you can grin knowing that joy will come in the morning. That joy will come in the morning. See, we sing that song. Why do we love it? Remember that everybody in the movie was so encouraged by the song. Why? Because they were in a season of heaviness. They were a season of depression and of darkness. And in comes this little girl that has this unction and this boldness and this confidence of hope to the point where it oozes out of her and radiates into the place where everybody's standing on chairs and singing with confidence. The sun will come out tomorrow. And I, I mean, I can't help but connect that because sometimes I think we're more confident in things like that than we are in our God. Sometimes we're more confident in the natural law than we are in spiritual laws. There's a spiritual law being introduced to each one of us today, this weekend, that says weeping is going to come. You're going to have night times. That's a part of the life we live in. That's why Jesus says, though the world will have trouble, you can rejoice in this. Have, take heart, for I have overcome the world. He didn't say, I'm going to take all your troubles away. That's not what it says. He says, we can take heart because in the midst of our troubles, there's a greater greater principle, a greater truth, a greater mystery, a greater knowledge that we have been let in on, and that is joy will come in the morning. And it isn't just saying that just because joy comes in the morning that we can't walk in joy through the night. It is saying that because there's a promise of the morning and because we have hope, therefore there's joy even in the nighttime. Even in the nighttime. See, because our joy doesn't spring up out of our circumstances. Your joy springs up out of your hope. So I try and tell people, if you have a joy problem, it's because you have a hope problem. If we ever find ourselves kind of wavering back and forth, feeling joy, not feeling joy, I'm joy, I'm for joy, 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 and I'm back and forth, what you can be sure of is you're probably positioning your joy. Your joy is coming up out of where you're placing your hope. And so when I'm placing my hope in a certain thing and that certain thing looks good, my hope is lifted up and I feel joyful. It's a good day. But when that certain thing isn't going so well and I'm starting, my hope is starting to wane, it's not a really good day. But God isn't saying that our joy or our hope is placed in a circumstance or any natural thing. It's placed in a hope that we have in knowing that God is God, even if that circumstance doesn't come through. That's the hope that doesn't disappoint us. See, as believers, we get to approach. We get to. This is a gift that we've been given. We get to approach dark seasons differently than anybody else. We get to walk in joy in the midst of crappy circumstance. We get to. 
And that will irritate people around you. I will tell you that. They will be irritated by your joy. When you're, you're supposed to be grumpy right now. This is a bad scene. Why are you so bad timing? All of these things. But God says we get to, we get to approach the dark seasons differently than the world does. The thing I find interesting about this psalm that I just read to you, it says it's a song at the dedication of the house of David. Many of the commentaries that I read proposed that this song was written prophetically by David as an act of faith in the promise of the temple that would later be built by Solomon. See, there was a vision of a temple inside of David, and it wasn't built during his lifetime. But he still had a hope of something coming to pass that brought about joy even though it hadn't come to pass. So why am I saying to this? Listen to the definition of joy. The definition of joy is this. It is the emotion evoked by well-being, success, and here's what I want you to hear, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. Joy is an emotion evoked by the prospect of, of possessing what one desires. When I'm talking about the desires of my heart, I'm talking about hope. See, when I, you'll hear me talk a lot this weekend about hope and faith. So let me, let me just, can I teach you for a minute? Hope is of the heart, faith is of the eye. Hope comes up out of the heart, it's what I'm hoping for. Faith is what I, what I choose to see even though I can't see it in the natural. And so they work intertwined. Typically, we, we operate in faith out of the hope that we have of possessing what we have not seen yet. And out of that, there's an emotion that is evoked, and that emotion is what? Joy. Right? So when I have, when I have a hope that I'm going to possess what I cannot see, but what I know God has promised... I walk and I operate in that hope, and it comes out and it manifests in my life in the form of joy, a supernatural joy. And this whole psalm was David doing exactly that. He's rejoicing and he's at the prospect of this temple being built years before it was even being built. That's what this whole, it's it's the hope that he had in his heart that my son is going to build you, build a house for God. That was the hope that evoked that emotion of joy. So I wanted you to hear that. So it isn't, it isn't, is it, isn't that what hope is based on? It's the prospect of possessing the kingdom. It's based on the promises of God and his good fortune. We know in Hebrews 11 it says that faith is the assurance of things you have hoped for. It's the absolute conviction that there are realities that you have not yet seen. Let me me read that to you again. Faith is the assurance. It's the assurance of things hoped for. So remember I talked to you about your hope is in your heart. And faith is the assurance of what's in your heart, the hope, the things that you desire for. The things that you desire for. It is the absolute conviction. I am convicted and convinced. I am confident that there are realities that I have never seen. I'm convinced there are realities that I have never seen. And to operate In those things, to operate out of that conviction is what it looks like to have faith in what I'm hoping for. And when I'm hoping for those things, 
There's an emotion that's evoked that comes up out of my belly, and it's called joy. It's called joy. See, a lot of you probably thought this week, I'm going to come this week and we're going to learn how to be joyful. <laughs> well, you don't, there are things that we're, we're going to talk about in session three about ways we can cultivate joy in our life. God gives us, he wants us to partner with him in releasing who he is, right? Well, I mean, there's all the different places in the scripture where somebody comes to Jesus and he says, you want to be healed? Go and do this. There's a partnership, right, that he invites us into, and we become a part of the manifestation of who God is in us. But we need to realize that the person of God is, is joy, and the person of God is in us. So the first thing we need to realize is joy is in us. It's in us. You may not feel it. You may not believe it, but you can't, get, you can't escape it because it's in you. And that's the joy that God has given to us. Now, this is very different than what the world would tell us joy is. And I believe that the world confuses joy with happiness. They're two very different things. So let me read to you the definition of happiness. The definition of happiness is the pleasure of a satisfying experience, and it is a state of well-being. Very different. So here I'm going to tell you that the word joy is used in the Bible over 300 times. That's a lot. Over 300 times. So we have to ask ourselves, why would God speak of joy over 300 times? For several reasons. But I believe it's because, A, he's putting it in front of us and saying, this is the the God potential, your God ability is to walk in the fullness of joy, but I believe he's also attacking the inclination of our nature, which is to not walk in joy. So he's stirring up. See, when we're reading scripture, God is always revealing something about who he is. He's really revealing something about carnal man and our inclinations, but then he's also revealing something about our God ability and the potential of who we are in the spirit. And so to talk about joy so much, he's attacking the negativity, the depression, the darkness, the nighttime that we are faced with on a daily basis in this world that we live in, and he's continuously speaking joy over it, reminding us of who we are, what we have, what's been given to us, and what our God ability is. And 300 times he begins to talk about joy, 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 joy. The word happiness is in the Bible less than 30 times. It's not a biblical term. And I think a lot of us think that because I don't feel happy, I don't have the joy of the Lord. You get to have the joy of the Lord in the midst of unhappy circumstances. You understand that? You get to walk in joy even when others around you are not. That's the privilege. That's the, that's the inheritance of Christ that we have been given. And we don't have to wait till we get to, to heaven to do that. Because the heaven, heaven is here on earth in us and through us. So, so let, me, let, me, let me tell you a little bit of difference. God knows that we will struggle with joy, and he's reinforcing our design for joy constantly. Constantly reinforcing your design for joy. Stirring up a desire in you. Do you want to walk in joy? Do we long for joy? Are we bothered when our spirits, our hearts, our minds are operating anything less than joy? So he's constantly placing that out in front of us. Joy is based on knowledge. The knowledge that we have of who God is, the promises that he has, the hope that we have. Happiness is based on your feelings. 
Is it possible for me to be walking in joy even though I don't feel happy? Absolutely. Joy is based on your position in Christ. Happiness is based on your circumstances. Joy is everlasting. It never goes away. Whereas happiness is fleeting, it's just a moment. True joy is, is of the Spirit. It's from God. It's a gift from God. It's supernatural. But happiness is of the flesh. It's within the soul. Joy is based on what is yet to come, and therefore we have no fear of tomorrow. But happiness is simply based on the here and now and actually cultivates fear in our tomorrow. Joy is based on God, but happiness is based on yourself and others. Joy comes from God. It's not based on how I feel. It's not based on whether I'm getting what I want. It's not based on how others are treating me. It's not based on my relationships. Joy is based on God and who he is and his position in my life and my position in his kingdom. It's a supernatural thing. The reality is the world's idea of joy is equated to happiness, which is based on natural things, not spiritual things. So let me tell you what joy, biblical joy, I'm talking about biblical joy. Let's talk about what it's not. Biblical joy is not based on negatives, it's, it's not based on negative circumstances. True biblical joy permeates through any negative circumstances. It is joy in spite of. I can walk in joy in spite of a negative circumstance. It's interesting to me how many times we give permission. I mentioned earlier about how we get to walk in joy even in despite of our negative circumstances. It's interesting how many times we give people permission to not walk in joy. Oh, I understand why you're... And, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't validate how people feel, but there should be a very clear separation Say, I understand how you feel. But there's a joy that God wants to give you that you can walk through this circumstance. And why does the enemy not want us to walk in that? Because the joy of the Lord is our what? You see how the enemy gets us spinning. Where we settle in this place of heaviness, I'm not walking in joy. People give us permission. Of course you're not walking in joy. You just, your kids are moving out, whatever. That's, that's understandable. No, 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 no. Don't give your sisters in Christ permission to not walk in joy. Empower them and encourage them. Give them a sniff of the joy that you have despite your circumstances and say, I know that your, your, your circumstances are hard. I validate that this is a challenge. But, but God, but God, there's a greater joy, there's a greater truth that we get to walk in. And I'm going to give you permission, even though your whole family is humdrum down in the dumps, I'm going to give you permission to be the joy of the Lord in, in that house. You see what I'm saying? Because strength will rise where there is joy. But where there is not joy, weakness, faint-heartedness, weariness will come. You can be assured of that. You can be assured of that. The Bible actually tells us that it is the joy that gives us the unction we need to persevere in times of tribulation. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, meaning us, you, I, who, who does we also not include in this room? You know? I mean, so... We also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight 
and the sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Now listen to what it says. Who for the joy that was set before him. What are we talking about? We're talking about hope. Hope. The prospect of possessing what he desired is what gave him joy and endurance and perseverance to go through a trial and a tribulation that none of us have experienced to that degree. Because this passage goes on to say, you have not yet struggled to the point of shedding your own, your own blood. I mean, I don't have that here, but it says it. Read it. It goes on to say that. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, right? Where did his strength come from to endure the heaviness of the cross, to endure the pain of the crucifixion, to endure the separation of his, from his father? While he hung on the cross and sin was upon him, and it says the father turned his face away. To endure all of that, it came from a joy that was evoked from a hope that he had of, of possessing the fullness of heaven. There was a hope and a confidence that he had that heaven would be his home. And that put a leap in his step and a strength in his walk that isn't of this world. That isn't of this world. It didn't come from Peter and John going, hang in there, Jesus. No, because where were they? They fell asleep on him in his greatest hour of need. His closest inner circle. When he said, stay here, watch and pray while I go and intercede. For the hour is great. And they fell asleep, not once, not twice, three times. Yet there was a strength that Jesus had to endure the assignment, the trial and the tribulation of carrying the cross because there was something that was set before him that he was confident in. And it was a hope that was not of this world. And that sprung up out of him a joy that was set before him. That's what that passage is talking about. In Romans 5, 1 through 5, it says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice, listen now, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Where, where does our rejoicing come from? It comes from our hope in God. Our rejo- so we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God And not only that, but we glory in our tribulations. How many of you have gloried in your tribulations lately? Are we like, uh, 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 uh." I mean, y'all, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I maybe have come to a place of maturity in my life where I'm able to look at my trials and my tribulations and say, God is good, and I'm going to keep pressing in, and there's a hope here. But to go another step and say, I'm going to glory... And rejoice in my tribulations, y'all, I'm not there yet. But the scripture says, because we have a hope, that we also get to glory in our tribulations. And if you read that in the Greek text, it means to rejoice in them. That word to glory means to rejoice or to boast in them. To be flamboyant about my tribulations. And it says, why? Because knowing that tribulation produces 
perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And then it goes on and it says, now hope does not disappoint us. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. See, our joy is not based in our circumstances. It's based on our hope in God. How many of you follow? Did any of you guys follow my wall? My. Okay. I have two walls. I have a personal wall. I have an LLC wall. But, but I put out these little video nuggets. And the nugget this week was talking about the difference of having faith in something and have, putting your hope in it. So I can have faith that God's going to heal my marriage, but my hope's not in my marriage being healed. My hope is in God. And see, that's, that's what we call a false hope. And so as a counselor, I try never to say, well, we're going to believe God that your child's going to be healed from cancer, but our hope isn't in that. Our hope is in the fact that even if your child isn't healed, that God is going to be good, and God's going to work it out for your, his glory and your good. You see what I'm saying? And so when we place our hope in false things, then we have a waning or a wavering emotion. And that's what this passage is talking about, that we get to glory in our tribulation because there's a hope that we have and a confidence that we know at the end of all of this, I will not be disappointed. Because my hope isn't in my circumstance, my hope is in God. Anybody struggle with feeling disappointed in life? Disappointed in a relationship? Disappointed in a child? Maybe you're disappointed in your spouse. Maybe you're disappointed in your job. Maybe you're disappointed in your paycheck. Maybe you're disappointed in yourself. You can be sure if there's something you're disappointed in, you've placed your hope in that thing or that, purpose, that person, and your hope is not of God. And that's a false hope. And what happens then? Our joy begins to wane. Because the prospect of possessing what we desire goes away when our hope has been on something that we're no longer getting, right? And so that's what this is talking about. In the voice, it says this, 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 this section that says glory in tribulation. It says we can celebrate during seasons of suffering. How many, how many of you are like, I'm in a season of suffering and I just want to have a feast and invite all my friends over and we're going to have a, a Thanksgiving feast because we are in a season of suffering. But, but isn't that what the scripture says that we get to do and we should be doing? We should be glorying in our tribulation. We should be rejoicing and celebrating in our seasons of suffering. Why? Because we know, we know that in James it says we can consider it all joy when we face trials and tribulations, various trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So even our trials and our tribulations, God is using to complete us, to mature us, because he is not willing that we will be lacking in anything, particularly in joy. Why? Because joy is our strength, and the enemy wants to steal that from us. Our joy is our unction. It's like the engine that gets you through the day. It's the power that God has given to us to operate. Let me read this, this Romans 5, 1 to you, 5, 1 through 5 in the message. There's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us. And how that patience it turns, it, it in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. In alert expectancy, what is that? The prospect of getting what one desires. Of possess, there's an alert expectancy. I'm expecting, how many of you showed up this week expecting God 
to do something good for you. Because the scripture says, I grant my requests before you, and I wait all day long in expectation. That's what it says in Psalm 5. In the morning, I, grant my, I lay my request before you, and then I watch with expectation all day long, expecting God to answer. And that's what the saying is saying, I have an, I have an alert expectancy. We're never left feeling shortchanged, quite the contrary. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously has poured into our lives through the Holy Spirit. If you think you can, when, when, when Solomon built the temple, he was like, God, can this temple even contain you? Can this temple even contain the greatness of who you are? Can it be held within? Can you be held back, Father, by walls? And we are the temple of the living God. And there's a part of us who should say, God, can this container even contain you? Can it even hold you back? Is, am I even big enough that you cannot explode out from within me? That's what he's talking about when he says, I need a new wineskin. Because the growth and the movement of the Holy Spirit and who God is, is a growing, increasing God who is constantly accelerating and moving and stretching us out because we cannot contain him. That was spoken in the Old Testament when the, when the temple was born. Nothing can contain our God. And he chooses to, to make our flesh his home. He pours his Holy Spirit into us. But to think that we're going to try and contain him and hold him in, you're living a short-changed life. That's what it says. You're living a short-changed life. You know, in the scripture in John, it talks about the difference between the wellspring of life and rivers of living water that flow out from you. And the difference was the gift of the Holy Spirit. He said, you shall receive salvation and he will be like a spring of life. But when I leave, there's a gift that will come and it will be rivers of living water that flow out from you. See, that's the expansion and the movement and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit moving out from you. And that's, that's what can't be contained, right? He's poured into us and he's saying, don't put me in a container. Don't put me in a box. Don't try and describe me. But let me be God. And, when we, and we have to realize that there's always more of him to have. There's always more of him to experience. There's always more for us to learn. And there's, there, that's being a new wineskin. Being stretchable, pliable for the movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So he goes on. So, so biblical joy, the concept of joy, is not based on our negative circumstances. We just read this, these passages and said, I can consider a sheer gift a sheer gift when I walk through trials and tribulations. It's not based. Biblical joy does nothing to do whether you're walking in a negative circumstance. But I also want you to hear me saying this. It's also not based on positive circumstances. It's not based on the good things that we're experiencing either. See, a lot of us are waiting for our circumstances to change for us to walk in joy. And what we're going to learn in session two is the power that we have to activate our, to change our circumstances by choosing joy first. Because what comes first? The, what is it, the horse or the cart? Is that the, what's the phrase there? The chicken or the egg? You know, what comes first? Is it, is it our circumstance come first, or does our joy activate the circumstance? So we say in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends 70 disciples out to the cities two by two, saying, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of harvest to send out the laborers into his harvest. 
In verse 17, it says that 70 returned in joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Listen, they returned with joy, saying they were excited. They were joyful because they got to see positive things. They were having a good day. They were speaking, and demons were subject to them in the name. But listen to how Jesus responds. Jesus says, Behold, I do give, it, give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Do not rejoice in this. Don't rejoice in that the spirits are subject to you, but rather simply rejoice because your name is written in heaven. Because your name is written in heaven. See, no man can steal that. That can't be taken away. Your name is written in heaven. And there will, days, there will be days when we see amazing works of the Lord. Oh my gosh, the Lord just blessed us today. We got a check. We've been praying. It came through. Oh my gosh, this person's been sick. We've been praying and they're feeling better. Oh, the, we see, we talk about the evidence of the Lord. And it lifts our hopes, right? So we do that because we know that the scripture says that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony and that the spirit of prophet or the spirit of Jesus is the testimony or the test, the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. Okay. So to speak of that or to testify that word testimony means to do it again. So when we speak about what God is doing, it activates a do-over, a do-again. Keep doing it, Lord. Keep doing it, Lord. Keep doing it, Lord. A lot of times we talk about spiritual algorithms, right? So just like the internet, when you've been looking at one thing or wanting to buy something, next thing you know, all that's popping up on your Facebook and it's pop Because the internet reads your algorithm, discovers what you like, and starts revealing things that they think. It's just, the internet is mimicking what's happening in the spirit. That's what happens in the spirit. When we, have you ever noticed that when you like, go out and you're starting to look at red Toyotas, all of a sudden everybody's driving a red Toyota? Because that's how the brain works. It's an algor- we live in algorithmic type living, and that happens in the spirit too. So when we begin to speak about the way God is moving, Shirley was just saying today, all of a sudden everybody's talking about discerning of spirits, discerning of spirits, discerning of spirits. And we know there's an algorithm going on in her life. God is showing her, and so she can be sure that he's going to continue to be talking about discerning of spirits. And so the things that we speak, of course, bring joy, and they excite us. But our Our hope is not in those things. Our hope is in God. And therefore, even though we can respond in joy, we respond with excitement, we respond with passion, our joy is still not in those things. Our joy is based on the good news of Jesus Christ. I can't help but think about when Jesus was born and the angels announced, good tidings of great joy. Good tidings of great joy. The greatest joy was the birth of Jesus Christ. The world was being pierced by the the light of the world. Capital L, light of the world. The darkness, the night was ending by the morning star who was being born among them. And just as the morning star breaks through the darkness of the life, the night, so through the life of Jesus, God broke through the grave of our hearts. And that's what it's about. There's a joy that we have, a salvation that cannot be stolen, a life that we have, a light of the world, the ultimate demonstration of joy coming in the morning, of course, is resurrection morning. The darkness of the grave, death could not hold him. 
Because there's a law, there is a spiritual law, just as sure as the sun is going to rise, so Jesus was going to rise. That just as confident as we can be, there was a resurrection morning. The joy comes in the morning. There was a resurrection morning, and life came into the world through the life of Jesus Christ, through the resurrection. That's the joy of the morning. Let's take a look at this verse, and let's not, not narrow it down to just individual circumstances, but let's take a look at the gospel. Though weeping remained for a night, joy came one morning. Came as a gift to each one of us. It's the good news of the gospel that fills us with a hope that evokes an emotion that we have because we have a pros- there's a prospect of you and I possessing something one day, and it's not of this world. And if that doesn't put a leap in your step, a smile in your heart, and a laughter in your mouth, I don't know what will. Because it's not based in this world. It's based on an eternal knowledge, an eternal truth, a biblical principle knowing, I'm going to walk through the nar- night times. I'm going to walk through this lifetime. But there's a greater hope that I have. And because of that, though the world around me may be walking in darkness, this girl's walking in light. Though the world around me may be in depression, this girl's going to walk in joy. Though the world around me may be weeping, I can weep and laugh at the same time. Have anybody ever done that? Where there's a weeping and a laughing at the same time? Because the Holy Spirit is is allowing your flesh to feel the weeping in the moment, but your spirit is rejoicing. Anybody who's lost a loved one, you know what I'm talking about. There's a weeping and a laughing at the same time, a weeping and a rejoicing, because we live in a body that's flesh, natural, and spirit. And, and there's a constant, and we as a kingdom people get to say, I'm going to choose to surrender to the joy of the morning, even though my circumstance is of the nighttime. You follow? I'm going to close this in prayer, but I want to close with this verse. 1 Peter 1.8 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. You are filled. Oh, everybody just say this. I am filled, I am filled with, an with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And glorious joy. Okay, now I want you to say it like you mean it. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I am filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Okay, now smile when you say it. I am filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. You ever been to a place where you're like, I can't explain it. I don't know what's happening, but there's something coming up inside of me. It's not of this world, and I know I should be weeping, but this girl's rejoicing. Father, we thank you that we get to. We thank you for the gift that's been poured out upon us. God, the promise that we have that's not in this world. God, but it's, it's, it, 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 it empowers us in this world. God, that we would explode with your joy, that all the world would taste and see that God is good. That we get to walk in joy, God, in the midst of, of negative circumstances, trials and tribulations. God, we get to cling ourselves to a prospect that one day we will possess what we desire.
God, that the fullness and the riches of your kingdom will be our home. And because of that, God, I will rejoice in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast, Enforcing Purpose with Lisa Schwartz. For more information or to keep up on current events and products, please go to my website at www.lisa-schwartz.com.